When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours, like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. I am Steve Saipa, and I'm joined this week by Lucas Vlahos and Thomas Henderson. How are you guys doing? Doing well. How are you doing? Better better than Gary Sanchez's catcher defense. Yeah, that's not great. I I think I've been a Gary Sanchez defender. Not like an adamant one, because I don't give that much of a shit about the Yankees, but like I've been like generally saying Gary Sanchez is still a viable starter and has a role, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That might be the single worst play I've ever seen a catcher make. Yeah. That was Full real- stop. Like, holy shit. <laughs> I, 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 like, defies any sort of logical ex- Like, I know Keith and Ron, to a degree, have a tendency to go like, old-timey baseball stuff, blah, blah, collisions on the base paths. But... Don't get out of the way of the guy. Like, come right. on, man. These days, most guys pull up anyway. Like, I, no one runs anyone over. Just stay there. And like, he oh got a, a full-on Joe Biden. Come on, man. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. I I don't know, dude. That was bad. That was Thomas crazy. is a former catcher. He probably has some thoughts. That was just that was literally the worst play I've ever seen a catcher make. Like, because. <laughs> If he slides into you, he just slides into you in full gear, and it doesn't. Nothing really happens. Like you're, he's just out. He just gave him the plate. He said, "No, you take home plate," and then he scored. And because he missed the tag too, basically, like he hit him so late that Not the feet he was clearly safe. Like it was just a wild play. Like, please, so, sir, I insist, have home plate. Yeah, it was literally giving up home. It was giving up home plate, and that's like the last thing you're supposed to do. You're supposed to defend it with everything, and he was just like, "Now nah, you have it." It was just bizarre. And on top of that, he had a bad game otherwise too. He went like 0 for four and looked overmatched at the plate, and like the Gio Urshela throw was a bad throw, but he also for some reason played it like a first baseman, where if he just hopped off home plate, he could have caught it and then stepped on home plate, and he would have been. I think it was uh, Conforto running would have been out by like a mile anyway. So. Like, he just had a rough game outside of that play, too. So, yeah. Without without giving people too big a look behind the curtain here, um, our Slack channel is 
how would I phrase this nicely? Prone to overreactions at times, um, especially when it relates to disliking certain Mets players. Uh, had this been a Met catcher doing this, I would have been one of those people overreacting. Like, cut him after this game. Holy shit. <laughs> like, I, I, I know it's easy to be like bench some, that's probably a benchable offense of a play. Like, to, to, to do that in a game when you're like one of, for your last 12 or whatever. They're, they're like one, they're on like a one in 11 stretch or it's bad. Or it's bad. And like, they've totally went from being like a real playoff team to like, the Blue Jays are right back in it now. Like it's an actual race towards the finish line when they could have just like put them away. So like when you add all that on top of it, it's just you can't do that. <laughs> well, Mets basically. Yeah, it really was. And the Yankees had they they were like that uh, all game. They just had a that was a really poorly played baseball game by the Yankees. Mm-hmm. All right, so promote extend trade. A few days ago, back in 1999, something glorious happened. Do you guys have any recollection of of September 1999? I mean, the smallest. (laughs) I was four, so no. All right, well, the Sega Dreamcast came out. Oh, I have one. Nice. So I definitely don't have any recollection of this because my parents never let me play video games. Until I was like 11 or 12. And now all most of what I do is play video games, so <laughs> joke's on them. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, at the time, Dreamcast was, like, awesome. But now it's kind of uh, a bust. So we're going to discuss the Mets' biggest busts. And I was going to do, like, Major Leaguers at first, but this is my league podcast, so I want to look at some of the Mets' draft busts. Obviously, the majority of minor leagues don't actually make to the minor to, to the major leagues, so I'll just I just pick some of the more noteworthy ones. So of these Met draft busts, we'll, we'll order them, I guess. So first we have catcher Steve Chilcott. He was drafted one one. Is this like the biggest in terms of? Well, however you want to interpret. Okay, I got you because it's like most hyped to at least. Okay. So we have Steve Chilcott, who was drafted 1-1 in 1966, and famously he's one of the handful of first overall picks that never made it to the majors. Next we have outfielder Billy Bean, who was drafted 23rd overall in 1980, and he was supposed to be like another all-star caliber outfielder to join and then eventually replace Al Strawberry, but that never happened. And then we have a more recent one, right-handed pitcher Kumar Rocker, who was drafted 10 overall this year, and the Mets basically turned lemonade into lemons, and something that should have been like, hell yeah, turned into Lil' Mets. Huh. Okay, that's an interest. I mean, I was going to say it's Chilcott without question, because... Yeah, I still think like, it is. Bean, is. Bean is a 23rd overall pick, right? Like, he's a first-round pick, but... He like, seems to be in the realm of possibility where they don't work out. Like, if you take a guy 1-1 and it doesn't work out, that's like, to not even make it, that's rough. Unless the dude is just like, I don't know, that's just rough. That's tough to come back from. Right, Bean did play, just not particularly good. Yeah, yeah. See, I'm torn, right, because 
If we're talking player busts, I don't think it's fair to criticize Rocker because we don't know what's going to happen there yet. Mm-hmm. In which case, it's definitely Wilcott being Rocker. These are Mets busts. Yeah. Process busts? Rocker's the biggest one, right? Because even without getting into a long discussion about how people don't understand probabilities, and there are plenty of tweets even in the last two days about people don't don't understand probabilities when it comes to baseball, uh, process things like what they did with Rocker have no level of probability associated with it, right? Anytime you could pick the best prospect in a draft class, one, one, and there's still a probability they're going to suck. Now, whether the, whether the one of two guys ever not to make it being drafted. Sure. Sure. But I mean, make it, there's still one, one picks who aren't very good or don't sign. Like I don't really care about that distinction that much. Gotcha. And there's at least a possibility that any one, one pick is, isn't going to be a notable player. There's no probabilistic uh, uh, margin, I guess is the best way to phrase it, for what the Mets did with Rocker and how bad they botched that pick. So to me, Rocker is by far the biggest bust, and then Wilcott, and then a 23rd overall pick. Like, you want to do better than that, but it happens, so. Yeah, I see what you're saying. How for much sure. does does that failure of, of um, process, if we extend the Chilcott selection and look at the process that went into it and we come to the conclusion that the Mets only selected Chilcott and didn't want to go after the guy that was picked number two because he was dating a white-skinned girl, that being Reggie Jackson. Now, that's a fair point. Um, yeah. I would – I think I'd still make it a failure process. <laughs> I mean, I'd still – I think I'd still make the same argument, though less vehemently, because – when your draft process is based on racism, like, you can go fuck you. Anything based on racism, you can just go fuck yourself right off the bat. So, um, still though, like, even taking someone else, there was still a problem, there's still at least a small possibility that that player would have sucked. These things happen. Even if Wilcott was only the second best player in the draft, there's still a possibility it would have sucked. There's no possible justification for what they did with Rocker. Yeah. And also, Chilcott got hurt a lot, right? Yeah. Like, that's one of those things where it's like, um, kind of their fault. Like, I don't know. It's not, I don't want to not blame a team for that because sometimes it could be your fault, but also sometimes, like, a dude just gets hurt, <laughs> you know? And, like, that's not your fault, really, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, that just ends up being unlucky. Like, if, uh, you take a like if you take a pitcher one one and he has he has Tommy John and is never the same again. Is that a bust? Like you didn't do anything wrong. Like that's just the possibility of what could happen. You know, like it's not poor play; it's injuries. So that adds a wrinkle to it too. I think. I mean, it's much harder to do a because there's been such a time gap, and b because we didn't have as much amateur side information. Yeah, of course, and right then it was different anyway too. Like. Back in the day, he just, you know, basically he didn't rub enough dirt in it. Look, if I've taken this dude was, and I don't mean to shit on Ken, who isn't here, uh, was the equivalent of taking that year's Adrian Del Castillo, then yeah, you deserve some criticism for that. Like, it's a bad pick. I don't have the information on hand to, to say that. Yes, I exactly. Right, like, 
if if they passed on and the racism uh, the racism issues definitely deserve criticism but if they were passing on jack Leiter for henry davis justifiable if you're passing on jack Leiter for adrian del castillo what in the fuck are we doing here but we don't we don't, we don't have the the information on that mm. i mean chilcott was considered a top pick i mean him being drafted at 1-1 is not unreasonable Right, right. It's not like they did something insane. They were probably a little bit, I mean, I don't want to ever say a little bit racist. When a little bit no, racist. There's no, there's no real degrees of racism. You either are or you're not. Like, they were probably racist and then also, but, but took a somewhat reasonable pick from a baseball perspective and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. Oh well. Yeah, that's fair. Because at first I was thinking in terms of like actual player busts and it's like, we don't know how Rocker's gonna be, you know, but, you made me think about it in a different light. Mm-hmm. The process is just terrible. Yeah. Fucking Mets, man. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's since 1966. Fucking Mets. That, sh- that should be that should be the fucking brand name. Fucking Mets. <laughs> fucking Mets LLC, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Not Sterling Mets. Fucking Mets. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, there hasn't been exactly uh, news per se this week, but there was a flurry of promotions that, you know, we need to talk about. Uh, a ton of them were just because of the situation with the Rumble Ponies and, like, half the team either getting COVID or being exposed to it. Can we, touch on, that for, can we touch on that for just a moment about yes. how the minor league COVID situation has very quietly gone to absolute fucking shit again and... Mm-hmm. No one cares. Pretty much. <laughs> now we, as a culture, seem to just not care about the fact that our country's COVID situation is very much going to shit again, and we're surpassing peak numbers. And yeah, it's pretty much just okay. Well, we did the lockdown, so that's it. Like that's like, the attitude. I'm I'm at a point where I'm not convinced minor league baseball games should be happening anymore. I will say one thing, not pro-con or anything like that, but with my basic – I am an inspector with the Department of Consumer Affairs in New York City, and my job going forward, one of of the divisions in, in where I work is to check compliance with the COVID protocols. And I was looking over the documents, you know, the stuff that we need to be doing, and there is a specific exemption for – athletic for athletes specifically visiting teams because they're constantly coming and going and whatnot like home teams have to have the the vaccines and and everything in order to to go to their home stadiums visiting players because they're coming from all over the place with all different you know municipal state laws and rules are exempt when they're coming to new york city specifically i mean uh, this is we 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 haven't even mentioned the uh, Hunter Renfro's comments in respect to the Red Sox, but it seems like Major League Baseball can't even control things on the Major League side right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they can. You're telling you're telling me that they can control things on the minor league side as good or better? No, a fat fucking chance. Clearly like, no. and look, I don't want I don't want the minor leagues to stop. Like. This is something we care about. Otherwise, we wouldn't be podcasting about it. But, like, objectively, if the situation is this bad and the vaccination rates are 
as low as they seem to be, then, then what are we doing here? I mean, it's literally dangerous for, yeah! for for these kids who are, like, by and large, as we've talked about a lot, do not make any money at all. And, so, and I, I really don't want to hear anything about how, oh, college-age kids are fine. Heston Kierstad probably has permanent heart damage. Like, this isn't a joke. Heston Kierstad is going to have to deal with the implications of having COVID once for the rest of his life. And he was a college-age number two overall pick. He's in a better spot than most of these guys because he at least got that one payday. Like, like if it's, if it doesn't work out for him, yeah. But if you're some undrafted guy or a 20th round pick or something, like, you got a few thousand dollars for your payday and also you have to go out there every day and <laughs> risk your life to play baseball in, like, the middle of upstate New York. Like, it's just bizarre to me that... I mean, point A, get the vaccine, you morons. Point B, sure. like, the organizations need to have some level of responsibility here and and handle this because so, I, 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 like someone's gonna someone's gonna die from this eventually and no one's gonna care because no one gives a shit about these no name minor leaguers as we've seen over the last five to ten years as minor league pay has become more of an issue. Mm-hmm. Well we don't know exactly I mean, obviously, and, and we shouldn't because these guys are allowed to have privacy and whatnot. We don't know who actually had COVID, who was patient zero, who was just kind of exposed to it, and, and they need to be quarantined as a result. I don't know. But um, we, <laughs> we had it in the last, like, two or three days. We had a total of 22 moves, most of them involving the Rumble Ponies. Um we have right fielder Raul Barasierda. He was he was assigned to Binghamton from the FCL Mets. Right hand pitcher Akeem Bostic assigned to Binghamton from Syracuse. He's right still in the t- organization. Do you, yeah. I, that, I feel like that I've been writing that name since 2015. <laughs> right hander Garrison Bryant was assigned from Brooklyn to St. Lucie. Excuse me, from St. Lucie to Brooklyn. Um, right handed pitcher Nolan Clenny was assigned to Brooklyn from St. Lucie. Left fielder Antoine Duplantis assigned to Binghamton from Brooklyn. Right-hand pitcher Braylon Gonzalez was assigned to St. Lucie from FCL. Right-hander pitcher Grant Hartwig was assigned to St. Lucie from the FCL. Right-hand pitcher Josh Hedgka was assigned to Binghamton from Brooklyn. Right-hand pitcher Alec Kessina was assigned to Binghamton from Brooklyn. Center fielder Wagner Lagrange was assigned to Binghamton from Syracuse. Shortstop Ronnie Mauricio was signed to Binghamton from Brooklyn. Right-handed pitcher Brian Matoire was assigned to Binghamton from Brooklyn. Right-handed pitcher Bryce Montes de Oca was assigned to Binghamton from Brooklyn. Left-handed pitcher Franklin Para was assigned to Binghamton from the FCL Mets. Right-handed pitcher Luke Rennie was assigned to Binghamton from Brooklyn. Second baseman Wilmer Reyes was activated from the disabled list, and he was assigned to Brooklyn. Shortstop Manny Rodriguez was activated. Still going? Jesus Christ. (laughs) He was assigned to Binghamton. Right-handed pitcher Oscar Rojas assigned to Brooklyn from St. Lucie. Right-hand pitcher Franklin Sanchez assigned to St. Lucie from FCL. Right-hand pitcher Rayson Santos assigned to Brooklyn from St. Lucie. Catcher Hayden Sanger activated from the injured list and assigned to Brooklyn. 
uh, excuse me, Binghamton. And finally, right-hand pitcher Willie Tavares assigned to Binghamton from Brooklyn. Uh, I would like to let everyone know Ronnie Mauricio currently has a 182 weighted for AA. He is now a top five prospect in baseball and should be traded immediately. I will take no further questions. <laughs> yeah. So, um, also, but this happened like a couple of days ago. Well, maybe like make a week or so ago. Mark Vientos was also promoted from Binghamton to Syracuse. Yeah, he deserves that. Yeah. And he was a guy that already was quarantined for COVID, so. I oh yeah, know. earlier, right? And then, yeah. yeah, like at, at, at the end of July, beginning of August, somewhere around there. So yeah, um, the big ones obviously are Vientos, Mauricio going to Brooklyn. Um, he is not ready for Binghamton. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to him in a second. Um, a consequential activation is Hayden Singer coming back. If you squint, maybe Montes de Oca going to Bingo matters. And then Wilmer Reyes, Garrison Bryant. Coming back from injury and going to Brooklyn and Rayson Santos being sent there, they are kind of, you know, just names to know. So there's one guy notably absent out of all these moves. And he's probably the most deserving of all those big prospects that have that were mentioned this week. Francisco Alvarez. Yeah. I'm fine with him staying in Brooklyn though. In, I am too. In the um he's so young. Like I think a lot of it, me included, um, forget that he's like a full year younger than most dudes and at his level already. He's not younger than no, he is younger than Julio, right, Rodriguez? I, if it's not, it's a couple months because they're both in the same like. I think yeah. they're both eighteen, right? I think Julio made it to Double A already. I'm, I'm splitting hairs here. Julio's like the third best prospect in baseball. Yeah, Julio is twenty. Yeah, I mean, you're not, yeah, he's in that category for sure. Oh, Rodriguez is mo- almost a full year older, excuse me. Oh, Alvarez wow. is November tw- 2001, Rodriguez is December 2000. I thought Rodriguez was December 2001, so I'm wrong. Just okay, for comparison's so, but- sake here, Mauricio hit 242, 290, 449 in 90 games, 19 homers, 24 walks, 101 strikeouts. He's kind of young, especially with his background and everything. Now compare that to Alvarez, who hit 251, 351, 529, with 19 homers, 36 walks, and 77 strikeouts, being, I doubt, a year and a half younger than Mauricio. So I think I could actually craft an argument to promote Ronnie, who admittedly I'm not a fan of, but... <laughs> Brooklyn, uh, Binghamton needs someone to play. Well, right, aside from that, um, I think Mauricio is suffering from the same problem that Ahmed Rosario and many other of these types of prospects suffer from, in that his natural abilities are quite good to the point where at lower levels of the minors he can get away with bad bad habits like i i I think we can remember a week or two ago he had that ball at his eyes that he has no business swinging at but he did swing at it and tomahawked it out for like a 450 foot home run Mm -hmm. and that's impressive like no most people can't do that like (laughs) like most even professional i certainly can't no no like 
most people cannot do that. And I don't remember who was pitching, but I think it's also, I really should have checked this before going on this tangent, but I also would be willing to bet that was a fairly non-competitive fastball in terms of higher levels of the minors or majors. And if he's getting into the habit of saying, oh, fastball up my eyes, I can hit that. He's going to get to higher levels and be screwed. And I think this is exactly what happens with guys like Ahmed, guys like other similar prospects who have these elite physical skills, but no ability to not to go full Keith here, but to like practice the art of hitting, right? They have no ability to recognize stuff, no consistent approach. They just kind of see stuff, think they can hit it. And that eventually burns them when their physical skills run out. Cause there's, you may be able to do this. I don't want to say there are a lot of guys who can do this because there aren't, but there are a number of guys who can do this in the minors and then we'll see major league quality stuff and we'll fail because there's like two or three guys in the majors who are able to play like that and hit major league pitching. And if you're, if you're worried about Mauricio developing these bad habits in high A, maybe you push him to a place where those physical skills start to break down and he's forced to either learn how to actually hit or, or fail. Right, so maybe that's the argument for pushing him up, even though he hasn't been in Brooklyn or hasn't been great in Brooklyn. So, like for me, I there's a lot of that I agree with, and I also, um, I think a lot of it is basically it's almost the end of the year, and if you're gonna push someone, you push the guy who isn't a catcher and the guy who doesn't have the full like who would be like two years younger than everyone else in Double A at that point. Mm-hmm. Like you could just kind of let Alvarez chill and still. Gain that experience and then start the season next year in Binghamton and let Mauricio kind of get his feet wet in Binghamton to start there next year because that's where he's going. Like, they're both going to end up there next year. So, it's important to note that there's literally like six games left in the year. So, exactly. none of this actually matters. So, like, wow, that few? I hadn't even realized. So, like, they're, they're promoting Mauricio to be like, hey, congratulations on the good year. Go see what it's like for a week. And then Alvarez is why why would you push him and make him play against like twenty three year olds when he's nineteen even for a week you know mm-hmm. like I think their ages and their positions because Alvarez got, would have to learn the pitching staff for a week of games that's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that would be just a lot of extra work for him and maybe top. you're shooting your pitching staff in the foot a bit too exactly like I'm 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 sure like he's a good catcher and everything but most pitchers are. Like, you're 23, and then you're going to have to learn a new kid behind the plate for, like, a week. I'd be like, come on. Like, I don't – just let me pitch to the dude who's been here all year. Who's been because playing shortstop at Binghamton? No uh, one of – no, uh, I'm sure. I think he stepped right in. I don't think it was anyone um, – I, I mean, so, so perhaps, uh, perhaps the other element of this is Sanger is a yeah. semi-legitimate prospect and not – and generic double-A shortstop number 22 isn't. <laughs> I mean, that definitely helps for sure, because then Sanger plays and he moves up to AAA next year, and then mm-hmm. Alvarez replaces him for AA next year, and then everything's good. So I think a lot of it is just, like, with catchers, man, I, I, I'm totally fine with erring on the side of caution with them, because it takes they – gotta, they got double the workload, because they got to learn how to actually catch these dudes and call the game and all that stuff, and that's a lot of extra stuff for a kid. 
he does that well, though. Oh, yeah, for sure. So that's why he's number 10 prospect in baseball. For All sure. that said, I still don't think Mauricio's ever going to hit, and they should trade him immediately. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the big deal that they do in the offseason is another trade, and it's Mauricio. Just because, yeah. like, if you look at the free agent class, it's like, I don't really... There's a lot of at the top end, but they're also like short stops. Oh, Thomas, don't make, don't let me, don't make me pull up my preliminary AAOP spreadsheet here. <laughs> I'm, I'm prepared to go on a long rant about the off-season strategies. Well, in any case, you know, I'm sure that the that that is an incredible um, celebratory gesture to say, "Hey, kid, you've been hanging out in Brooklyn this whole year." Good job as a reward. We're going to send you to Binghamton. Enjoy. I also wonder if Brooklyn was in the playoffs, if they would have kept him down to get playoff experience. Oh, I think so, definitely. Um, and since Brooklyn's totally out of it and Binghamton's totally out of it, there's no, like, pressure, really, to go play in those games for Binghamton. Mm-hmm. Hey, Thomas, Just remember when your bold prediction for the season oh, yeah. was that every Met affiliate yeah. would have um, winning records? That was – it was totally opposite. It was the best. Like. Yeah. I, I I just nailed it in reverse, so. I mean, both pitchers I made predictions about got Tommy John, so I didn't do much better, did I? Listen, I was pretty sure that Thomas Zabucki was going to get some Rookie of the Year votes. Oh, oh that was a good ooh, one. We did one. bad this year. Yeah. Jeez. He well, played well, in one game and had elbow surgery. <laughs> Make sure you guys tune in next year for our totally accurate, bold predictions. So what you do is just you listen to the bold prediction and predict the opposite to uh-huh. everyone you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then when that comes true, you look like a genius. And you're like, well, yeah, it was easy. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so time now to take a look at how the Mets affiliates did this past week. Um, spoiler alert, not great. <laughs> Syracuse Mets will start out with, and they went, um, well, they went 0-4 against the Buffalo Bisons. They have two games remaining as we record right now, and that did not go well at all. We mentioned last week that Buffalo was surging. Um and yeah, they are in the process of crushing Syracuse. Buffalo has a 12-game winning streak going. Um, I don't think that the, any Mets team this year have had more than like five games, maybe. I don't what know. Affi- who, who are they the affiliate? If I can, I can talk. Who are they the affiliate of? Um, uh, b- 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 Toronto. Yeah, Toronto. Yeah, that sounds right. So yeah, they are five games ahead of. Scranton Wilkes-Barre Rail Riders now. Um, you know, a week ago or so, they were in second place. So, good for Buffalo, I guess. Syracuse had a chance to crawl out of the cellar. But, you know, that, that hadn't really happened. The team that's in front of them, Rochester, they have lost 10 games in a row. But now, because Syracuse has gotten crushed by Buffalo, they are still in dead last in the AAA East Northeast with a 42 and six, uh, 42 and 67 record. So 
the next series that they play is against the Worcester Red Sox. And the Red Sox are not only a solid team, they're in third place, but they've also been surging lately. They are 8-2 in the last 10 games. So not looking good for poor, poor Syracuse. Uh, the Red Sox, they're pretty much middle of the pack in terms of hitting and pitching. The best player on their team prospect-wise is Red Sox fifth prospect infielder Jeter Downs. Then they also have uh, top 13th prospect right-handed pitcher Connor Siebold, 23rd top prospect Cutter Crawford, who I don't know if this is irony or self-fulfilling prophecy, whatever, but he does have a good cutter. <laughs> Um, and then 26th prospect catcher Connor Wong. And then earlier in the year, they also had outfielder Jaron Duran. That sounds like two thirds of a Mookie Betts to me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, we mentioned like the season is ending pretty soon. Syracuse's season, they actually have a couple more weeks to go. Triple A plays for a couple more weeks. So yay, I guess. Um, I mean, nothing else. We'll get to see Mark Vientos for a couple more weeks. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Unless he is COVID patient zero and has to stop playing again, I don't know. But at least it's minor league baseball. Yeah, yeah, know. yeah. Man, that's just, just, just what a depressing season. Yeah, just, just. Ugh. Well, you know, like what? basically immediately they were bad too. These teams. Yeah, just like the Mets. Well, <laughs> at least, at least they got to play. Because we'll move yeah. on out to Binghamton, and Binghamton had their entire series against the Flying Squirrels canceled because of COVID, and then they had the first couple of games against the Portland Sea Dogs canceled because of COVID. Can we just add that it's a massive injustice that Jeff McNeil never played for the Flying Squirrels? That is true. If anyway. And then when the two teams are finally cleared to play. Their first schedule game got rained out. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they were able to finally get one game in on Friday, and Binghamton lost. So they are 0-1 with two games left to play against the Sea Dogs. And we were talking last week about the odds of them ending a crappy season maybe on a high note and possibly getting to 500 with like a, a hot streak at the end of the year. But because of all those canceled games, it literally is impossible to happen now. As we're recording, they are 46 and 54, which is eight games under 500, and there are seven games left to go. So, at best, there'll be one game under 500, which is kind of sad. They did end up having a better win-loss record than you would have thought. Like, yeah, months, they, so. they got, they got. I'm not gonna say they got hot, but they they started doing okay at the beginning of like August, mm-hmm. July. And then they got COVID, so whoops. Um, so they're going to be ending their season next week um, against the Reading Fighting Phils. They are three and three against the Fighting Phils on the year, and Reading is actually one of the teams that's worse than Binghamton. Um, they have a, a forty-four and sixty-four record, as opposed to Binghamton's forty-six and fifty-four. Um, Reading has a collective. 232, 314, 395 batting line on the year. That's third worst in all of the North A, double A Northeast. And they have a collective 497 ERA, which is second worst in the entire league. So, there might be a chance, guys. You're telling me there's a chance. Mm-hmm. 
And the Phillies, of course, have one of the weaker minor leagues in baseball right now. Um, but one of their actual legit prospects is rostered at Reading, Bryson Stott. He is hitting a very healthy 296-363-41. That's more slugging than I expected for Bryson Stott, honestly. Bryson Stott, for those of you who don't remember, has major um, college Gavin Zucchini vibes, basically. That's a pretty good description of Bryson Stott, I think. Yep. Uh, Fighting Phils also have Philly's fifth prospect, right-hander Francisco Morales, 10th prospect Jalen Ortiz, 11th prospect Logan Ohop, Ohopi, excuse me, catcher. But those guys, like the Mets top prospect list, when you get past the first couple of names, you're already getting to like the season players. It's amazing that the, the, every farm system in this division is just garbo except the Marlins. Yeah. Even the Brave system isn't that good anymore. Like, yeah, they promoted a lot of the guys. That's why. And Waters and Pache can't hit, just like we all, like many of us suspected from the get-go. The Nationals are the Nationals. Uh, the Phillies are the Phillies. The Mets have like three big names and then a bunch of nonsense. Yeah, pretty much. That's... What a division, man. What a yeah. division. <laughs> The Brooklyn Cyclones now, they went 3-2 and two against the Hudson Valley Renegades. Two more to play this week. Uh, I guess that's a pretty good outcome, given all the roster moves. Basically, Brooklyn lost A, Mauricio, and B, like half of the team. Um, Alvarez and a bunch of creative players right now. Yeah, pretty much. Cyclones are going to be wrapping up the season this upcoming week against the Jersey Shore Blue Claws at home. Uh, Brooklyn is 10 and 14 against them. And the best players, I, I saw the, I saw the Blue Claws a lot early in the year, and the best players on that team are two guys that are now in Reading, Jalen Ortiz and Logan Ohapi. So, really the only guys of note on the Blue Claws are, um, Philly's sixth prospect, outfielder Johan Rojas, Eighth prospect, shortstop Luis Garcia. Ninth prospect, left-handed pitcher Eric Miller. Sixteenth top prospect, outfielder Simon Muziotti, who is Venezuelan, not Italian. But he might be Venezuelan-Italian. I don't know. And twenty-sixth top prospect, left-handed Ethan Lindo. But again, same thing like before. We're well into the C-tier level players by, you know, very, very quickly. And finally, the St. Lucie Mets. And they had a chance to make up some ground in the division because they were playing the very, very weak, like Lynn Flying Tigers, but they stumbled and tripped and fell into a pit. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. They might be able to salvage things, but they've lost every single game that they've played this week against the Tigers. (laughs) Dropped to 55 and 53. And they are four games behind the Jupiter Hammerheads, who have taken three out of four against the um, Tortugas. So, as we talked about, St. Lucie, they're going to be ending the year against the Hammerheads with the division on the line. But it's going to be tough because they're basically going to have to win every single game against the uh, Hammerheads. And that is going to be a tall order because, as mentioned, the Marlins have one of the better farm systems in baseball they're in the top third or so, and a lot of those prospects are in are in Jupiter. 
Um, prospects on the, on the Hammerheads include Marlins 10th prospect Jose Salas, 14th prospect shortstop Nassim Nunez, 19th prospect Victor Mesa Jr., outfielder, 20th prospect second baseman Cody Morissette, 25th prospect right-handed pitcher Evan Fitterer, 27th prospect outfielder Osiris Johnson, and 30th prospect outfielder Tanner Allen. Interestingly, though, this is actually really crazy when I was looking at the numbers. The Hammerheads have the worst offense in the low A Southeast and the best pitching. It sounds very much like the Mets, right? Where one year the pitching's good and the hitting doesn't exist, and the hitting's good and the pitching doesn't exist. Like, Mm -hmm. it's got to sync up at some point, right? Right? (laughs) Their team OPS is 654, which is the lowest of all the 10 teams in the league. And their ERA is 390, which is number one. And then they're also at the top of, like, you know, walks loud, strikeouts, things like that, too. St. Lucie has a middle-of-the-pack offense um, and defense and pitching staff. It's going to be interesting, though, with all the promotions in the last month or so, I I don't like St. Lucie's odds. I mean, two of their best players, Jalen Palmer and and Jose Peroso, they're in Brooklyn now. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, how much can St. Lucie rely on, you know, an Alex Ramirez or a Brandon McElwain, you know? Not a lot. No. Yeah. That's the bad part about the minors and the playoffs and stuff is sometimes, like, organizational stuff with promotions and the like could just kind of sink a Mm -hmm. level season and you can't really do anything about that, you know? Unless you're Brooklyn. Yeah. (laughs) In which case, they got some some reinforcements last uh, in 2019. Yeah, it works the other way sometimes, and that's why they won, like, straight up. So yeah, it's it's looking like our one hope in St. Lucie is going to be not enough, and you know I don't even know if now they end the season over 500. They're two games over 500 right now. Help yeah. us, Obi Wan, St. Lucie, you're our only hope. <laughs> oh, nice. Swish. <laughs> only in my head because I was watching Star Wars Rebels recently, and that line comes up. Nice. Which is the latest opportunity I'll take to plug the Star Wars animated shows. They are amazing, and everyone okay. should watch them. Listen, I saw the new trailer for Knights of the Republic. Yes, I'm very excited for that, too. See, yeah. uh, this is obviously a total tangent. I know you have strong takes on quote-unquote new Star Wars. Sure. But Clone Wars and Rebels are 100% worth they watching. Are they are like, Truly brilliant storytelling. Oh, yeah. You should watch them. I, I, I boycotted um, the Clone Wars one for a very, very long time. And I started watching it. Like, I started kind of watching it with my ex-girlfriend at the time because she uh-huh. watched it. And, you know, years and years and years later, like two years ago, whatever it was, I don't know. I saw it was on Netflix. So I said, you know what? Let me give it a try. And I started watching from the beginning – and I said, oh, this is crappy. The beginning is, uh, I'm not going to lie, the beginning first, of Clone Wars is definitely rough. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. So I started just kind of hopping around, picking, you know, select episodes and um, chapters and stuff like that. And I definitely did enjoy what I saw. 
And then Netflix took uh, took it off because that's when I guess Disney Plus came out. So that was. Oh wait, so you haven't seen the final season of Clone Wars or Rebels, which are the best bits. I have not seen any of Rebels, and I saw the the last televised season of Clone Wars where Uh Soka leaves and Barrasofi is. Uh huh. Yeah. 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 Spoiler Uh, alert: Snape kills Dumbledore, etc. <laughs> oh shit, really? Yeah. Uh so oh. added to the so now Thomas and I, in addition to getting you to play Mass Effect, are gonna <laughs> have to get you to watch season seven of Clone Wars and also watch Rebels. Rebels is really good. The final seven episodes of Rebels is the best Star Wars storytelling there is, and I will argue this until the day I die. Isn't that the one with like all the time traveling nonsense and whatnot? It... Yes and no. It's oh. not. It's not overdone. Don't worry. Yeah, it's. Um, yeah, it, 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 I I understand where you're coming from because anytime time travel gets involved, like when they like first suggested the, the concept, I was like, oh, I don't like this, and then I'm like, oh wait, this is this is good. Was... Yeah, no, it's good. It's well oh. done. Anyway. Anyway, so. Yeah. All right. So that is the Mets, and that is Star Wars. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's move over now to. Oh yeah, that guy. And we haven't mentioned it yet, but we are recording on Saturday, and it happens to be 9-11. So I decided to go back to see players that debuted in 2011, and the Mets had five rookies that made their major league debuts that year. One is a guy they signed from Japan. A lot has been written about him. Um, he's very, very unique. Tsuyoshi Shinjo, who I must mention came out of retirement last year and tried out in front of a bunch of NPB teams over the winter, but he did How not. How old is he now? Like 49. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't find any information about whether or not he was good in those tryouts, but he did try, so. Clearly, though, not, not Clearly, enough. he should have just done and not tried. There yeah. is no try. <laughs> exactly. Um, the next two guys were guys that were considered organizational top prospects, right-handed pitcher Dickie Gonzalez and outfielder Alex Escobar. One guy got a quick cup of coffee, um, for a few days on, you know, at the end of the season, uh, right-hander Mark Corey. He had an undistinguished career and really he's best known for having an anxiety attack so bad after smoking some weed that everyone thought he had a seizure. A pretty bad <laughs> I shouldn't be that. laughing, but that's funny. <laughs> so the last of those five guys, and the most connected, I guess, to you know the 9/11 Mets teams and all that, um, is a guy that debuted on September 19th, 2001, during that away series uh, with the Pittsburgh Pirates before they came back home. Catcher Jason Phillips. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's yeah, a, yeah. Remembering a dude here. He had a nice little major league career. Um, so I guess he's a better fit on Unformidable than Oya oh yeah, that guy, but I'll keep it more focused on his minor league career. And Jason Phillips was born September 27th, 1976. So he almost made his debut on his 24th birthday. He was drafted by the Mets in the 24th round of the 1997 draft out of San Diego State. He played that summer with the Pittsfield Mets, which was the New York Penn League team prior to the Cyclones, and he wasn't all that impressive. But that does happen a lot to college players in the Penn. 
He spent the 1998 season with the Capital City Bombers, and he was a big reason why that team was like legendary status um, and was one of the best in minor league baseball. And he hit 271, 343, 398 in 68 games that year. He was promoted to St. Lucie in 1999, really wasn't impressive, and he repeated the level in 2000. He did a lot better, though, in his second go-around. He hit 276, 343, 407 in 80 games, and then he was even better when he got promoted to Binghamton for the last month of the season or so. In 2001, he hit 293, 362, 464 at Binghamton. He showed that he wasn't a flash in the pan in in that month or so that he spent there the year before, and he got himself a promotion to the Norfolk Tides at the end of the year, and then a call-up to the Mets in September. Mike Piazza being on the team obviously cut into his playing time as a catcher, so he played a lot of first base. Uh, the Mets signing Mo Vaughn, who was a first baseman, did not help his, his ability to get playing time, but in the almost 250 games that Jason Phillips got, in the almost a thousand plate appearances or so that he had, he had a solid 262, 337, 389, um, with the Mets. Better than a certain catcher they drafted first overall. Yeah, that is very <laughs> true. I mean, at least he played. Uh, Phillips high watermark was definitely 2003 when he appeared in 119 games, got about 400 at bats and hit 298, 373, 442. And he was traded to the Dodgers right before the 2005 season started, which ended his Mets career. And then he bounced around a couple of teams before retiring for good. And he became a coach in 2009. He spent seven years as a coach in the Mariner system from 2009 to 2015. Then he became a coach in the Blue Jays system from 2016 to 2018. Then he was with the Trenton Thunder Yankees affiliate in 2019. He was supposed to coach with the Tampa Tarpons in 2020, but obviously that didn't happen. And then the Yankees did not bring him back in this year in 2021. So fuck the Yankees, basically. True. True forever. That uh, Jason Phillips uh, prospect coverage, obviously, you know, was, was very, 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 very much in its infancy in the late 90s and early 2000s, I guess because the internet was still kind of in its infancy too, and the internet is really the only source of, of information for that kind of stuff. But I mean, the only thing that existed back then was basically Baseball America's printed book, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, that was it. And in, in said Baseball America printed book, um, they ranked him 17 on their 2002 Mets prospect list and 13 on their 2003 uh, list citing his ability to hit for a solid average, his growing power, and above average defense thanks to a solid arm, a lot of mobility behind the plate, and his ability to work very well with pitchers. I don't think I realized that he was like a prospect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 13 and 17 is not that impressive when. But you, it's in but general. It's, <laughs> But the thing is, I said, okay, well, he was prospect number 17 in 2002. He was prospect number 13 in 2003. Who are the guys in front of him? Obviously, um, again, information is kind of hard to get for this kind of stuff, and it really is only Baseball America, and they only had the I, – I could only get, like, top 10, so I don't know, like, you know, from, from 10 on. But in 2002, here 
was the Mets' top 10 prospect list, according to Baseball America. Number 10, we have left-handed pitcher Neil Mooser. Who? Number, I don't know. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Number 9 is left-handed pitcher Jamie Serta, or Jaime, probably, Serta. Number 8, right-handed pitcher Grant Roberts. Number 7, third baseman David Wright. Oh, who? Yeah. <laughs> Number 6, right-hand pitcher Jay So. Oh. Number five, left-handed pitcher Billy Traber. Number four, right-handed pitcher Pat Strange. Number three, shortstop Jose Reyes. Number two, outfielder Alex Escobar. Any idea who number one is? It's kind of funny. Uh, Philip Humber? No. Too early? Too early. Um, I have no clue. He's a right-handed pitcher. Yeah. Number one, right-handed pitcher Aaron Heilman. No! <laughs> no! Oh, man. But, I mean, that's a pretty good... I would I would have gotten that if you gave me, like, another ten minutes to think about it, but that's painful. Yeah. That's a that's a pretty solid, you know, you, you, you cut off the first couple guys, but that's a pretty solid list. So, Phillip's not, you know, getting into that conversation. Okay, understandable. And let's look at the 2003 list now. Number 10, first baseman Craig Brazil. Number 9, right-handed pitcher Bob Keppel. Number 8, left-handed pitcher Jaime Serta. Number 7, right-handed pitcher Pat Strange. Number 6, right-handed pitcher Matt Peterson. Number 6, catcher Justin Huber. Number 4, third baseman David Wright. Number three, right-handed pitcher Aaron Heilman. Yeah, move him down that list. <laughs> number two, left-hand pitcher Scott Casimir. Oh, um, God. And number one, shortstop Jose Reyes. I mean, objectively, they got a lot out of that list. Uh, I mean, David Wright would have been a Hall of Famer if not for the back thing. Jose Reyes, uh, the awful things he did off the field aside, is... What like uh, a like he's two good seasons away from a Hall of Fame career himself? Honestly, like Reyes was very very good, and then he like fell off a cliff a little bit. Yeah, like basically, if he had been healthy in like he missed 2009, which was in his he missed most of 2009, which is basically in his peak years. If he's healthy that season, he's probably a Hall of Famer at least in terms of WAR. I don't think I realized that Reyes was consensus higher prospect-wise than Wright was. Yeah, I mean... But it makes sense when you factor in the position and the speed and everything, you know? Right, I don't want to say that people didn't see David Wright coming, but there was a lot more fanfare for Reyes than there was for Wright. Yeah. Wright was going to be a nice little player, you know? I think think in today's age of evaluation, Wright would have been higher, but... I agree. Reyes was, oh, defense, speed, athleticism, old school, he could bunt. Ah. So. Bunting is is a lost art. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean. I agree with that, Lucas. Reyes used to be my favorite on-field, used to be emphasis there. He was my favorite on-field player growing up, and he was exciting. Like, he sure as hell was exciting. Yep. 
So, yeah, um, tying it back to Phillips, I mean, him not, you know, not making a list over, you know, Pat Strange's and David Wright's and Scott Kesnier's and Escobar's, understandable. Yeah, so, at the time, that makes, that makes sense for him to be where he was. Like we were talking earlier about, you know, the, the Mets system and as compared to the Marlins or the Phillies or whoever, you know, it, you get to those seed level players very quickly, whereas, you know, these teams... You know, these lists, I mean, you know, it's stretched out a bit, bit more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Jason Phillips. Well, as always, we need to end things on a sour note with some mm-hmm. little pottery. Because <laughs> that's just how we are as Mets fans. So, Lucas, do you have some little pottery? Yeah, this one's a real layup. Um, and I'll admit that it's not from this week, but I felt it was appropriate given that today is 9-11. And also, I will never miss an opportunity to call Rand Paul a jackass, so let's call Rand Paul a jackass and remember that time in 2019 when he was the only person to vote against a unanimous passing of a uh, bill to support uh, uh, 9-11 first responders. Obligatory, fuck Rand Paul. That, Again, was, that was the whole thing with John Stewart. Correct. Yes. 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 I, w- I was going to cleanse the palate by encouraging people to remember John Stewart and his many great efforts on this front, and how we should love and appreciate him if he ever returns to some sort of public-facing role. Uh, but fuck Rand Paul, man. Noted Mets fan, John Stewart. Yes. 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 Explains so much, doesn't it? Definitely listens to the podcast. I sure hope so. <laughs> All right. Well, if anyone has any questions, comments, whatever, you can send us an email at our email address from complex to queens at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter and shoot us questions there. I am at Steve Seiper. Lucas is at Elvlahos343. Ken is at Ken1191. And Thomas is at Sad Mess Season SZN. Subscribe to the podcast, your podcast from, rate and review it. And of course, we thank you for listening. And we will be back next week. So until then, love the Mets.